Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of And Finally with me, Sam Vader, where this week we're going to be doing something that I'm sure a lot of people know about, but I'm going to cover it anyway, and that is of course World War One, also known as the Great War, um, that obviously took place between 1914 and 1918 was pretty much when the fighting officially stopped. So, we'll get to that in a second, but obviously, as always, before we start, I would like to say that we here at Sigil Wilds do of course stand with the Black Lives Matter campaign. Despite the fact traction is dying down on social media, we do still stand for equality for all, and we'll do our best to help in any way we can, even if it's the slightest things of like this, promoting awareness for it at the start of our episodes. But with that mentioned, let's get into the events that started World War One. So it did kick off on the 28th of June 1914 really, when Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh, was assassinated by members of the Black Hand in Sarajevo. Probably butchered that name massively. But um, yeah, his assassination, his assassination did basically kick off the uh, the whole thing. Now the Black Hand were a member of, I suppose, I suppose you call them terrorists, uh, but from Serbia. So it was at this point that uh, Austria, now they've lost their uh, their heir to their ruler, got a little bit annoyed at Serbia. But following it, uh, not long after, on the fifth of July, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany who was the current leader, um, Kaiser, clearly, promised German support for Austria against Serbia if they were to attack. And one thing you will probably come to notice from me going through this, and it is very apparent, is World War One started because um, basically everyone made a pact with everyone else. It was like, oh, if you're attacked, I've got your back. It's sort of like in a friendship group, they're like, oh, yeah, if, if this person starts and you, I've got your back. But this was all the countries of the world decided to... To back up their mate and uh yeah that resulted in over 40 million deaths i think in the end um so basically the best way to go about it is don't have any friends that is the key message of world war one um so yeah austria then on the 28th of july declared war on serbia but just like austria had germany backing it on the 1st of august the same year russia then basically, or no, not necessarily the 1st of August, but in the in intervening, there were days I'm looking for, words I'm looking for, sorry, in the intervening days, Russia uh, said they would support Serbia, so then by the 1st of August, Germany had declared war on Russia. Um, yeah, Germany, they just don't have a good track record in the wars, do they? I feel bad for them in cases. Um, so, but then on the 3rd of August, Germany also declares war on France and invades Belgium. This is more because France was then on the side of Russia. So Germany was like, nope, going for you too. We're going to fight on both fronts. Which didn't end well in the uh, second war they fought. And Germany had to implement the Schlieffen Plan. Schlieffen? I think I'm saying that correctly. Now, the Schlieffen Plan was actually created by General Count Alfred von Schlieffen in December of 1905. And uh, this plan was basically a plan that uh, designated an attack on France once Russia, um, once declaring a, an attack on Russia. So basically, because of international tensions that had been building through the many decades leading up to this, 
Um, once Russia started to attack, it was a plan implemented to then go for France as well, knowing France was being friendly with Germany. So it was basically a whole way of making sure it could handle an attack from both sides. However, unfortunately for Germany, uh, this is what led to their greatest enemies, Great Britain, big up the hometown. Um, that's what led Britain to declare war on Germany. Once again, in both wars, Britain weren't really going to get involved until Germany invaded another country we were friends with. Obviously, in World War II, that was Poland. But in this case, they stepped foot in Belgium, and that led Great Britain to get involved, which, if I say so myself, is, is why they ended up losing. But, you know, I'm British, I can say that. It's better than the Americans claiming they won. Jesus Christ. But after a bit of a fight, um, on the 23rd of August, and the British forces did have to start to retreat from Mons, which is a city in Belgium. Could be the capital, I wouldn't know. And uh, yeah, Germany managed to invade France. France probably just surrendered as soon as they turned up, to be fair. It's, you know, what always happens, really. But then on the 26th of August, the Russian army were defeated at Tannenberg and at the Mazarine... I can't, I don't know, it's a Russian word, lakes. So Germany were doing well at this point. It seems similar in both wars. They, they had the early game locked down really well. Uh, they just couldn't really pull off anything later on, which is a shame, really. Well, it's not. I take that back. It's not a shame. I forgot. No, not a shame at all. You know, but they had such a good start. You, you maybe do feel bad for them, but then, then you remember you don't. Um, <laughs> Sidetracked slightly there. On the 6th of September, the Battle of Marne. Mar is that how you say it? Marne. M-A-R-N-E. Yeah, that started. Can't pronounce that. It was at the Battle of Marne, Marne, that uh, the French basically managed to stand their ground because up to this point, and I'm not even making some sort of joke at this point, they, they were on the run. The Germans had completely overrun their entire forces, unfortunately, at this point, and were really pushing them back. But they managed to stand their ground at south of the River Marne and put up a fight for quite a good time. And really enough, it was sort of at the end um, of the Battle of Marne, the trench warfare had really begun to be what was the driving force of 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 World War One. Trench warfare was now becoming a big thing uh, in this conflict uh, that would stay really until the end. As we know, trench warfare is a staple of World War One. You think of trench warfare, well, definitely for me personally, the first war I think of or conflict is World War One. It was, however, on the 18th of October that the first Battle of Ypres took place. Uh, and this is one of the battles along with the Battle of Somme and Passionadle. Uh, these three battles um, really have gone down in history because they are the fields uh, that surrounded the town of Flanders. And I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, know um, the significance of Flanders fields do with World War One. It, it's a town that sadly has forever been linked uh, with World War One, and that will never ever change because they are the fields where poppies, red poppies, famously grew um, after the battles had finished um, and is obviously now a symbol of world wars all over the place but specifically World War One today and uh, yeah but 
the devastation in these fields by the end of their respective battles, um, they're said to have perfectly summarised the futility of the battles in World War One. just thousands upon maybe even millions dead in a field for, for no reason whatsoever and it was just really showed the whole futility of the whole the whole thing speaking of futility it's actually that's a really nice war poem by by Wilfred Owen it was um written in 1918 I believe and it's one of the only poems that I actually uh, enjoyed learning in English because uh, I just thought you know I was one of those people who I don't see the point in war I think it's stupid I think it's futile and World War One is a big example of that, the millions and millions dead for no reason. And this poem that was written afterwards about the war does sum it up. So I'm actually going to read Futility for you now, because um, I think it, it's appropriate and this poem is famously about World War One. Uh, I might do an analysis afterwards, but that doesn't sound too fun for you to listen to. So, move him into the sun. Gently its touch awoke him once. At home, whispering of fields unsown, always it awoke him even in France, until this morning and this snow, if anything might rouse him now, the kind old sun will know. Think how it wakes the seeds, wake once the clades of cold star, our limbs so dear achieved, our sides full nerved, still warm, too hard to stir. Was it for this clay grew tall, oh what made fatuous sunbeams toil, to break Earth's sleep at all. And that is one of the most powerful wartime poems I, I ever read, and it was the one that always stuck with me. Um, just because, yeah, war is the most futile thing in the world, really. And and this, I'm just gonna go back to that, hang on. Um, and I will go into a bit of an analysis on it now. Um, basically, it's, in case you hadn't worked it out, it's not easy, I suppose, on just listening. It's about a soldier that's died and talking about how, you know, the sun would wake him up every morning, even when he was in France in the trenches. But now, you know, his limbs are... The, the nerves aren't working anymore. They might not even be attached. Is this too much for for the, even the sun to wake up that he just... He won't wake up anymore. You know, he used to be at home in the fields and now he's in another field, but he's not even even waking up. And then the final two lines... Oh, what made fatuous sunbeams toil to break the earth's sleep at all? Fatuous is just another way of, of saying pointless. So what Wilfred Owen here is saying, you know, what's the point of the sun even shining on this earth? You know, what's the point of it even breaking the earth's sleep at all? If all we're going to do is pointlessly kill these people for no reason, you know, send them into war for, for nothing. And he's basically questioning the whole morality of the human race. What's the point? if we're just going to send people into into their deaths in such a pointless manner and that I think really sums up World War One you know and that's public opinion on World War One what was the point why were we doing this why were we throwing all these young men to their deaths and yeah that poem I might have got sidetracked a bit there but I feel like that was very appropriate to be mentioned when when discussing World War One um but you anyway, know, back to the, the timelines, we've gone from the 18th of October to the 29th of October. Turkey entered the war on Germany's side, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, trench warfare was now really becoming the dominant feature of World War One, especially on the Western fronts. That's your France, your Belgiums, sort of Western Europe. Um, yeah, trench warfare was really becoming 
what was known as well what would be associated with world war one um now we skip forward to 1915 on the 19th of january uh, the first zeppelin raid on britain took place so that was your uh, your shelters and germans you know trying to bomb us into submission basically uh, they tried that again later on also didn't work um but then a month in the future 19 february 1915 britain actually responded by bombarding turkish forts in the Dardanelles, Dardanelles, I might be saying that incorrectly, I'm sorry if I am, I'm really sorry about pronunciation and butchering uh, people's words from their countries, I do, I do feel terrible, I'm just not very lingual, I'm unilingual, um, and even then I stutter with English. Anyway, so by the uh, 25th of April, the Allied troops land in Gallipoli, oh, fuck's sake, Gallipoli, Holly, Gallipoli, Gallipoli, Gallip, I don't know, sounds Italian, I'm assuming. This battle, though, was uh, one of the biggest disasters for the Allies, uh, and it, it lasted about a year, so 25th of April 1915 to the 9th of January 1916, and it was held on the Gallipoli or whatever, peninsula of the Ottoman Empire, not not Italy, sounds Italian. Um, and the campaign, the very doomed campaign, was thought up by none other than, oh no, the great hero, Winston Churchill, who, by the way, wasn't as great as everyone thinks he is. You know, he did help in World War II, but he's not the genius I think people give him credit for, and this is proof of that. His whole idea was to basically create a new war front for the Ottomans that they couldn't cope with, to distract them. But it didn't work. We, uh, we got our asses handed to us in that war, and uh, yeah, it didn't create another war front was meant to basically split the ottomans from their from the rest of the um germans and the other sort of forces but um and, and weaken them but it, it just didn't go well we got our asses handed to us and yeah nice job churchill you uh you made yourself a mistake not the last one um but then we are getting a bit ahead of ourselves with the end of that war so then we have the on the 7th of May, the boat, the Lustiania, uh, was sunk by a German U-boat. And this was a uh, was an American ship basically going from New York to Italy. And it's thought that this is one of the big... Um, New York to Italy. I meant Liverpool. Did I say Italy? I think I said Liverpool. I don't even know anymore. Gee, it's because I'm reading the next line on the notes. Anyway, yeah, so it was going from New York to, to Liverpool. And I think carrying some war supplies, in fairness. Um, but because America at this point were trying to stay out of the war, this is why they cannot say they won it. They weren't involved until right at the end, but they weren't involved. They just weren't. It's a fact at this point. But yeah, so the Germans sunk this, and it's thought to have been one of the big points that pushed America to joining the war. But then again, they didn't join for another two years, so it couldn't have been that that big a push. Um, there are famous quotes where Americans are saying, you know, we didn't even think of war, and that's great but the rest of the world was in it you, I don't know maybe they had a point not getting involved but then they got involved and took the credit so yeah not happy about that quite frankly anyway the 23rd of May Italy then declared war on Germany and Austria um good Italy supports always needed pretty sure they've just swapped sides at this point but it's great 
um, just surrender in front of them. That's what they tend to do in wars. Literally, look at historical records. Italy and France, white flags, all I'm saying. But by the 5th of August, that same year, I'm getting sidetracked again, the Germans captured Warsaw from the Russians, which was a massive defeat uh, for the Russians at that point. And by the 25th of September, the Battle of Luz began. Now, the Battle of Luz was a uh, was basically a two-pronged offensive against the Germans. Uh, so, I, I can't think of who was attacking at this point. So, uh, on 25th December, the British Army, um, commanded by Douglas Haig, attacked the German position on Luz with, I'm pretty sure... Uh, it might have been the Russians coming from the other side in a big thing to sort of crush them and give them no chance really try and suffocate them in the middle of this attack. Now, on the 19th of December, as we are jumping forward a bit, the same year, the Allies had started an evacuation. Is it excavation? The archaeologist in me. Can't help it. Uh, the Allies started an evacuation of Galliopoli. The thing in the Ottoman Empire that Winston Churchill fucked up. That one. 1916, 27th of January, uh, conscription was introduced into Britain. So all those young strapping men who, you know, weren't disabled and were able to fight were being forced to go out to fight. And this really adds to the futility of it all. Because, you know, they were being promised greatness and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and really, all they were going to be doing is coming back in a box, um, you know, so it was yeah it was not a nice thing the war and the whole conscription made it worse but they would it was a way of prolonging the fighting i think just this whole conscription thing and yeah i'm not i'm, I'm not too keen on it um you know what happened happened and nothing we can do about it now but on the 21st of february we got the start of the battle of verdun now, the Battle of Verdun was actually the longest single battle in all of World War I. The casualties from this battle and the impact it had on the French army was actually the main reason that Britain uh, started the Battle of Somme in July 1916. As the Battle of Somme was basically a British initiative to try and take some pressure off, uh, off the French at Verdun. And, uh, yeah, it was a way... So, it, it was a, yeah, it was a bad one for the French and... Uh, but another turning point where Britain started their own attack to try and take the Germans' um, eyes off what was going on and try and distract them, I suppose. And on the 29th of April, we're still in 1916, of course, the British forces surrendered to uh, the Turkish forces at Kut in Mesopotamia. So, uh, yeah, we are not doing too well at this point, I must admit, which is quite unfortunate. But on the 31st of May... The same year, we had the Battle of Jutland, which was considered to be the only sort of major navy naval battle in World War One, and this was the British Navy losing more men and ships uh, than the German Navy, but uh, the German lost. So we we had more losses, but the battle was seen more as a loss to the German Navy, and uh, yeah, and we basically put the German Navy in a position where it couldn't set sail for the rest of the war, um, which is why this was the only Navy battle. 
because yes, we suffered more losses, but our navy was power enough, powerful enough to keep going and remained a powerful force, whereas uh, the, the German, they couldn't do much at this point. So had to sort of retreat with their army, um, their navy forces. So that was a big win for us. We basically had control of the sea in the battle, uh, which, you know, if we were Ackman, would be spot on. Um, but then after that, you've got the 4th of June, which is where you had the start of the Brusliov offen Offensive. Brusliov. Uh, and this was uh, also known as the June Advance, was held between June to September of the same year. And it was actually the Russian biggest feat of arms really during the war and probably one of the most lethal war offensive seen in world history they really went a ham on the Germans and it's a victory they needed purely because they'd been losing so much ground during the war and this was what really I suppose brought them back um, but then you get to September the 15th of September 1916 and this was the first mass use of tanks on both sides as a conflict and this was at the Battle of Somme which had started as we know earlier in July of 1916 and yeah we um yeah tanks were then a big part of this warfare as much as uh, trench warfare tanks were now a very big part but now we jump to 1917 we're on the 1st of February Germany's unrestricted submarine warfare campaign had started, meaning they were going to be putting a hell of a ton of submarines under the water, trying to blow our ships out of it. But this plan did, to a fairly large extent, backfire because it was this that then caused, on the 16th of April, the US of A to declare war on Germany meaning America, you know, a year before the war ends, thought, ah, oh, you know, we'll get involved for the last bit, we'll take all the credit. You know, it's like that kid who you're doing a group presentation with, does nothing, maybe throws in a slide right at the last minute, but then claims it all and gets the same grade as you, who had done the work the whole way through. Um, not that I'm bitter or anything, I'm a very nice human being. Um... <laughs> So yeah, the, the USA finally get involved and on the 16th of April, France go mental and launch an offensive on the Western Front. However, it is unsuccessful and they once again do get pushed back by the Germans, which is very unfortunate. But by the 31st of July, we have the start of the third battle at Ypres, uh, really showing that, you know, that's one, two, three. The, the Flanders fields were... Yeah, there's a reason they're remembered as the bloody highlights of World War One, and, you know, it, it, unfortunately, yeah, it, it wasn't good for anyone involved, unfortunately. And that's the thing with these sort of topics. Um, it's, it's hard to touch on them because they are so completely soaked in blood on all accounts and uh, on both sides of the war, you know, I know... Some people find it easy just to target Germany for what happened in these wars, but I think that's kind of missing the point, really. So many of them lost their lives pointlessly as well for a war that they suppose they probably didn't even want to fight. Um, so at the end of the day, it's a very somber topic, but you've got to learn about this stuff and remember it to know what came next. So back on topic, I suppose, um, the 24th of October, you had the Battle of Corporetto, 
where the Italian army was massively, massively overrun and defeated, and literally the sheer number of losses in terms of stolen equipment and captured prisoners set the Italian army back so much. It was it was a massive hit for the Allies at that point. Um, but on the 6th of November, the same year, Britain launched a major offensive in the Western Front and finally started to push back the Germans because by the 10th of November, British tanks won a victory at Cambari. And it's funny because obviously I'm mentioning the Germans a lot and obviously there's a lot of other countries involved, mainly Austria-Hungary. Um, but it's weird because they all sort of fought under the German flag. So when I'm saying I'm not just generalising and I want to make it clear that I'm not just poking at the Germans as well, um, the Germans were the ones basically leading the charge for the, uh, shall we say, bad guys during the war. Um, so yeah, it's I'm not generalising, I'm just... It was them leading, leading the charge, unfortunately, um, for them, and I feel bad for how they're remembered for it. Um, but that being said, so yes, we, uh, 10th of November, British tanks won a victory at Cambari. And uh, yeah, by the 5th of December, the armistice between Germany and Russia had been signed. And by the 5th of, 9th of December, sorry, Britain had captured Jerusalem from the Turks. So we were making some uh, big strides at the moment, especially between Germany and Russia. That was a big standstill that was needed. But we finally get to 1918, where on the 3rd of March, the Treaty of Brett-Litzovsk was signed between Russia and Germany. It was this treaty that actually brought around the official end of the war between Russia and Germany in 1918. Uh, and the Germans were reminded of the harshness of the <laughs> treaty when they complained about the severity of the Treaty of Versailles in 1919. So, yeah, but obviously that's a bit in the future. But yes, this was basically the end of the war between the Germans and the Russians. But unfortunately, the rest of us hadn't reached that point yet. Because on the 21st of March, Germany had actually broken through on the Somme and started to maybe push us back a bit. On the 29th of March, Marshal Fock was appointed Allied Commander on the Western Front. And on the 9th of April, Germany started an offensive in Flanders. And on the 15th of July, the Second Battle of Marne started and the start of the collapse of the German army. And uh, by the 8th of August, the offensive and advance of the Allies was successful enough to completely push the German forces back. And on the 19th of September, the Turkish forces collapsed at Medigo, Meg, Megiddo, Megiddo, I don't know. And on the 4th of October, the... Uh, yeah, the German armies finally asked the Allies for an armistice. And on the 29th of October, Germany's navy had mutinied and given up. Not that they had much of an army left. And on the 30th of October, Turkey made peace. The 3rd of November, Austria made peace. And on the 9th of November that year, Kaiser Wilhelm II abdicated. And this would be what started setting up a different political system in Germany that unfortunately, not too many years later, another man would exploit for his own rise to power but he's not one we will talk about here however he was involved in this war and survived a severe mustard gas attack mustard gas was something used heavily during this war and uh yeah this was the war that sort of 
put a ban on chemical weapons because the use of mustard gas was so horrific. But yeah, Hitler himself fought in World War One, uh, which is where he actually picked up his hatred for Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, because they refused to fight. He saw them as weak and inferior. This is where part of that started. But he had a number of close calls, actually, where he just avoided death. Um, unlucky for the rest of the world. Very lucky for him. But by the 11th of November, Germany had actually signed an armistice with the Allies and the official date of World War One was known that the 11th of November is the end of World War One, and it is the date that we, to this day, celebrate. But it does go on, there is the post-war, I suppose, that took place in 1919, where on the 4th of January there was a peace conference held at Paris, and then on the 21st of June, the surrendered German naval fleet uh, was just torn apart, basically, you told you can't do anything. And then, of course, you had on the 28th of June, 1919, the infamous Treaty of Versailles. Now, this is, of course, the treaty that severely crippled and limited Germany after this. It reduced their land, so they couldn't do it. They reduced their army to, oh, well, not even not many soldiers at all. Reduced their sort of uh, military capabilities in terms of weapons and resources. Uh, basically crippled their government. They were in massive debts that they had to pay back to all of the European countries and, and America, I suppose, they got involved. France, I think, was the one country that didn't want it to be too harsh on them, or was it America? One of the countries, re no, it wasn't France. France wanted, was out for blood after what Germany did to them in the World War. It might have even been us. I know there's one country that didn't want it to be as severe, but we saw it uh, right to cripple them after everything that had happened. But unfortunately, this would go on to be a massive backfire, as this would also fuel the fire that led to Adolf Hitler's eventual rise to power. But that is a story for another day, as is, I suppose, the Treaty of Versailles, because that links more into World War II and his rise to power and what happened there. So I will have to leave it there for World War I. Yeah, a really tragic war that, as I say, completely futile and could have been completely unavoided if people didn't just get involved in things that weren't their fault and weren't their business, like us in the Middle East. Uh, linking it back to that, we've got even less reason to be there than America. I think we've started to pull our forces out now, but it's a bit pointless at this point. Like, why are we, you know, and this war, you would have hoped that this war would have stopped another one from breaking out. Um, but unfortunately it did. Um, what happened, happened, and yeah, we got World War Two. but hopefully us in modern day with lessons like this can learn to move on and accept what happened and learn from it so yeah that's i suppose my my ted talk on world war one um i would once again like to thank our sponsor though uh king styles apparel the brilliant merch store loads of great stuff i've tried it out check my youtube videos out where i should try on some of the stuff and check out some of the stuff for yourself without further ado i'd like to say thank you so much for listening guys i really do appreciate your listens every single week and finally, I'll speak to you next week, guys.